Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. Good evening. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're viewing on right now and also join that Facebook group. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, from the Sunshine State Sports Jabber, Bradley Walker, and Ball State athlete, Paul Habicott. Our special guest tonight, she's a skeleton racer who competed from, I got 2001 to 2006. She's got a bronze medal from the 03 World Championships, but Obviously, she is most known for the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympic Games where she dyed her hair red, white, and blue, uh, you know, representing the United States there. And she become the inaugural women's skeleton Olympic champion, gold medalist, however you want to call it. Um, and she's also one of the newest members of the United States of America's Bobsled and Skeleton Hall of Fame. So Olympic gold medalist, Tristan Gale Geisler. Tristan, thank you for coming on tonight. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. Awesome to have you here. Tonight's debate is going to be the greatest extreme sport athlete. Um, it, it has been pointed out to me that the skeleton is not considered an extreme sport. But if you're putting uh, your, your body on the ice going at those speeds, I consider that extreme. So we're going we're gonna to list that in there tonight. <laughs> After the debate, we'll have a couple questions for Tristan about her career. And we're going to start out tonight with uh, Kelly Slater. All right, Kelly Slater. He's a professional surfer. And, uh, you know, surfing's one of the toughest sports to master uh, because, of, you know, on top of the weight distribution and the balance that you got to deal with, you know, there's the unpredictability of the ocean waves. Uh, but really, no man has ever mastered this sport. Uh, quite like Kelly Slater has. Um, he started back in 1989, and he elevated to number one ranked in the world in just three years. Uh, since then, he has had a number one ranking in 11 different years, and he has earned over $4 million in prize money. Um, he has twice competed in the X Games, both times, uh, 2003 and 2004, walked away with the gold medal. Uh, Slater's done much for the sport of surfing as well. Uh, he has his own line of surfboards. Um, he appeared in nearly 40 movies, and he has developed his own uh, surf ranch wave pool in California, uh, which was acquired by the World Surf League. And this pool is said to produce perfect waves that travel at a consistent perfect speed. So something that the guys can use for, you know, for training, that sort of thing. 
Um, he is now uh, working on another one, another uh, surf ranch uh, uh, wave pool in the state of Florida. So he'll have the West Coast and the East Coast covered. Uh, so Kelly Slater, definitely a surf legend, uh, surfing extreme sport, in my opinion. So uh, I think this guy belongs to the conversation for sure. Wasn't he on Baywatch, too, for a while? Am I remembering that correctly? I'm not sure about that one. Uh, but I know he's been in, in 40 different um, – uh, nearly 40 different movies. Somebody Google that while we're talking. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> watch. Tristan, uh, of the four sports we're talking about tonight, I'm I'm going to guess, this is my opinion, that surfing requires the greatest amount of balance. So I'm thinking that skeleton takes a lot of balancing too. So, you know, how do you guys balance yourself on boards, small boards like that? And, and what are your thoughts on Kelly Slater? All right. First off, I'm going to have to say skateboarding probably wins this, but that's only because I haven't spent enough time on a BMX bike to give you a true thing of that. Skeleton requires zero balance. Um, I am only about an inch and a half off of the ground, and that's high. Like uh, in the, in the G-forces, most of the time I just set – my chin down on the ice, which means I have nowhere to fall. Uh, am I holding myself up in extreme speed? Yes, but I, I, you have to work really hard to fall. So I don't really balance that much, but Kelly Slater, I mean, he is, gosh, what is he? How old is he now? 49 years old. And he is like, a kid, he was an alternate for the 2020 Olympics here in Japan. Uh, and I, I mean, I can't even imagine showing up and being like, yeah, I'm going to put myself in this, you know, sport at, at that age. But he also just built that big wave pool, wave pool uh, out there. But I bet the 2028 Olympics uses that possibly as a venue for the surfing competitions, which I think will be really exciting to see because it can create the perfect wave every time in a consistent thing. And that is like, that's not usually a part of the surfing sport. It's like conditions make or break a sport. And as a, a person that also competes outdoors, it's like, you don't know what you're going to get dealt. When you start putting things like this in, it does change. It's going to change the, the sport again. I'm excited to see what will come out of that. And Google has confirmed he was on Baywatch. He played. He Jimmy was Slade. on Baywatch. Yeah, <laughs> the role of Jimmy Slade. Man, Jimmy he's the remote. <laughs> I do remember him ha these... having some ads or some ads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got all these Baywatch pictures up now on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better delete them pretty quick. <laughs> it's going to be hard to, uh, to do the rest of the show or I might virus out here. <laughs> so, I mean, Paul, I mean, this guy transcended the sport. I think that's the common thing with all four people tonight. Like all four of them have transcended the sport. I mean, but he, he he's had a really successful Hollywood career. Yeah, but that's another common thing with a lot of them too. Like when I think of somebody who transcends the sport, I think of like Tony Hawk. He, he went into skateboarding and, and did it into his older years. And my guy that I'm going to represent, I mean, yeah, these are huge stars and they're so – Sought after they make it, they go into Hollywood and commercials and shows and stuff like that. I think well, every single one of them that we talk about today has their own video game, at least one. Yeah. 
of their own video games. I mean, that's crazy. That, that is crazy. These guys were the, the, the trendsetters for these sports. All right, let's move on to uh, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, yes. As Tristan said, skateboarding does require a lot of balance. I don't know. Being on concrete compared to being on water, I don't know how much balance. But if you want to go, who, which was harder to balance there? Uh, Tony's nicknamed the Birdman, and uh, you want to talk about X Games? I don't think anybody dominated more than Tony himself, winning ten gold medals. He, he competed in seventeen events. Um, Tony has his own video game, as we all know. I think one of the most popular video games out there. But uh, the guy was. I mean, come on, man. You can't think of X Games without thinking about Tony Hawk. I mean, that's he's the man. He put the X Games on the map, in my opinion. He was the stunt double for David Spade in Police Academy 4. So he's got, <laughs> okay. he's got some, some movies to his credit, too. I also I own a movie that he's in. Um, oh, gosh. Billy Crystal film. And he's actually playing himself in it. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I'm the parent something. I'm blanking now. But... Tristan, uh, you said skateboarding might be the hardest balance. So you know. I, you know, one, you're you're crashing onto cement, but I have had the chance to see some of these guys train, and it is it's really amazing. And uh, yeah, I go eighty miles an hour, and that is way easier than what these skateboarders are pulling off and just watching the skateboarding in the Olympics this year. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite events that I got to see. Uh, it's just really cool. And what Tony Hawk has done, I mean, what, again, what we're going to talk about with all these guys, they are all multi-generational athletes. And that is probably the, the true definition of a legacy athlete, in my opinion, is somebody's career that can span decades and have such a huge impact on the sport and, and changes the sport. And we see that with all these characters. I mean, Tony was here um, as a commentator for the Japan Olympics and got to ride the park a little bit just for fun and taking pictures. And I thought that was so cool because like, again, it doesn't matter your age. You can show up and surf and skateboard in, in, in until you can't. Uh, my dad was a world champion longboarder, uh, surfer, and so I guess I've always had a, a small passion for, for surfing in general, um, even though I'm a winter athlete. Uh, but yeah, still, skateboarding is awesome, and I don't think there is another great, I don't think there could ever be another great like Tony Hawk in it. Brian, what were your thoughts on the, the getting it, the skateboarding get added into the olympics this year i was very surprised when i had heard that that was going to be added in i mean it's not like a sport you you think of when you think of olympics but here it is now yeah well i think it's something that tony hawk and and some others actually helped legitimize i mean it get, you think about it, it start off as just sort of a little hobby or something that you know guys were doing in california and then it's it, it's evolved into this you know this worldwide thing and and uh you know, like like Bradley said, with the video game, I remember when when I first saw the Tony Hawk video game on Nintendo, I didn't really know what skateboarding was. You know, and 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 and, and you know, he brought that he brought that everywhere. He brought that in everyone's living room, and it's just amazing to see how the sport had, you know, how far the sport has come. Well, let's move on. I mean, to he was Sean pro Hogan. at fourteen years old. Sorry, I oh, I, I just I can't yeah. imagine being a it's professional amazing. anything besides a brat at fourteen. 
<laughs> His name definitely transcends. I mean, that's just the common theme tonight. Well, let's move on to Sean White. Yeah, that was a lot different than what I was doing when I was 14. And speaking <laughs> of what I was doing when I was seven, Sean's doing something a lot different than what I was doing. Sean's out of San Diego, and he's basically been sponsored since he was seven years old. The son of a waitress and a water department worker, and he made the most of his life. He's actually born with a congenital heart defect, causing him to have open-heart surgery twice before the age of one, and then kind of marrying into what we were just talking about with Tony Hawk. He met Tony Hawk at nine years old in a skate park and basically just went on to say, I'm too, too scared to talk to Tony, so I thought I could just impress him with some of the tricks I was doing, and maybe that would provoke some conversation. And he did. He went on to be a great skateboarder as well. Uh, Sean was the first to compete in medal in both summer and winter X Games. He's the first snowboarder ever to land back-to-back double corks at the Red Bull Superpipe. He's the first snowboarder to win back-to-back gold medals in the Winter X Games Superpipe. Uh, super He's also the first athlete ever on snowboard or skis to win gold medals four years in a row in the Winter X Games Superpipe. Uh, White was the first to three-peat in the Superpipe at the Winter X Games. He's got a great uh, Olympic trail here. First Olympics was 2006. He won the gold medal in the halfpipe. 2010, he won gold again in the halfpipe, won the gold in his first run, didn't even need the second run, but he did it anyway, and it kind of became key to the world because he unloaded the double McTwist, which uh, Sean calls the tomahawk. By the way, if you notice, I'm not referring to him as a flying tomato because I think subsequently subsequently we learned he doesn't really like that. But uh, in 2012 at the Winter X Games, White became the first person in history to score a perfect 100 in the men's snowboard superpipe. 2014 Olympics, Sean had really taken off on social media and one of the most discussed, he was one of the most discussed athletes in the world, but he finished fourth this time in the half pipe. Maybe there's a correlation there, I don't know. In the 2018 Olympics, that's going to be the last one I'll talk about, but this is one that I'll probably always remember just because of what happened to his face. Uh, he's, he suffered a, a major injury crashing into the edge of the super pipe during preparation 62 stitches to the face, but despite the accident, he went on and qualified for the 2018 Olympic team. On February 14th, he won his third Olympic gold medal for the men's halfpipe event with a score of 97.75. It was actually trailing by a full point before his final run, and uh, he won dramatically the gold medal with back-to-back uh, 1440s. And it was uh, that year uh, in that Olympics, the 100th gold medal for the United States at the Winter Olympic Games. Uh, I'll kind of stop there. He's got a ton of of uh, shows and video games he's a part of, but for time's sake, uh, you know, I'll stop. We've seen him on, like, Jay Leno, and uh, he's got his snowboarding video games. He's been on, like, Extreme Makeover, Nickelodeon, and stuff like that. But he's what I think of when I think of kind of Winter X Games. So finally get to a winter sport. Uh, I'm assuming maybe you've met him somewhere along the lines. Um, what are your thoughts on him and, and the fact that he has transitioned not just from snowboarding, but he's a heck of a skateboarder, as Paul mentioned. He also likes to be known as a musician. Um, so he's the only one that I know in in real life. Uh, and ironically, so I am married to a Marine, so was stationed in San Diego, like Carlsbad uh, area in in California and he has a house there and Tony Hawk lives there. So at some point we have all been within like a couple miles of each other right there. So I think that's kind of a funny connection, but 
he, I, I mean, again, uh, he pulled out of the running for the Japan 2021, 2020 Olympics this summer, but he easily, not easily, but he could have made a run for two Olympics in a row, both for uh, skateboarding and then for snowboarding. But, you know, his heart is on the snow and it, people think that these sports only take one year of prep or one year of work to, to show up. But it's a full four-year commitment, no matter what the sport, even though you would think that skateboarding and snowboarding would have enough crossover that you could do both, you really have to put in all of your time uh, to, to make that happen. And I know he's in Switzerland right now getting early snow, working up for the Beijing Olympics. And I think it's awesome that he's going to keep going. I mean, all these people have more awards and 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 everything and so what makes them keep showing up year after year after year and not walking away from their sports is is really cool brad what what are your thoughts on sean white i mean people today when they're out there snowboarding are doing the moves that he invented being someone that's never seen snow in person that's a tough question to answer <laughs> uh growing up in florida not never being never seen snow um the uh I mean, again, being that he is, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Um, no, I'm, and I'm being dead serious when I say that. Um, the uh, being that he can, that again, uh, like Paul was saying, and he's also you know, skateboarding and snowboarding as well. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, the moves that we see snowboarders do today, Sean White was the one who invented those moves. So how cool is that that they're using his moves? And like Tristan said, he's preparing. For another run at the Olympics in Beijing, so there you go. How cool is that? So, absolutely. Every one of these guys tonight are just trying to like not one up somebody else, but one up themselves, which is even more impressive. You know, I just I think that's incredible. I mean, these guys are innovators tonight. This is a very unique show, and I I, I respect what these guys have. They've all put their sports on the map. It's an incredible situation. So. Well, let's move on to our last athlete tonight, and that's going to be Matt Hoffman. Um, the Condor is what they call him, so pretty cool nickname. I, I know uh, Sean White doesn't like the nickname the Flying Tomato, but I think that is a, I think that's an incredible nickname. That's awesome. But uh, so the Condor, he is the greatest BMX vertical ramp rider of all time. There's, there's no question behind about that. He is, he is tops. He's number one. Um, in the history of this sport, um, just a couple stats. He has done the X Games. He's got two golds, a silver, and three bronze. Um, some of the amazing things that he's done. Check this out. He did a base jump of 3,500 feet off of Norwegian cliffs. That's insane. That That is absolute life-threatening. Um, and then the BMX competitions is is – it's named like it's check the name of the BX the BMX competition is Matt Hoffman's crazy freaking bike series, uh, CF <laughs> CFB for short, uh, and it's usually on you can catch it on ESPN two and stuff. But he set every record you could think of uh, in biking, including uh, he did the first ever no handed nine hundred, and he was the first person to perform a double peg uh, grind down on a handrail, uh, which if if you see that. Today, you watch BMX today, that 
that's done by everybody. So everybody's just basically copying what he did. And the reason when he, when he did the no hand 900 is because when he was the originator to do it with hands, then everybody started doing it. So he pulled it out to look even better with the no hands. Um, he has done, he has created over 100 revolutionary tricks. So over a hundred tricks in biking is because of him. Um, so he turned pro at 16 after he, he won the amateur uh, competition at the two hip king centers. So he wins that at 16 years old, turns pro the moment after he wins that. And an hour later, he wins the pro contest at the same tournament. So that is pretty impressive uh, there. Um, he's in the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, there's no like BMX Hall of Fame. I'm sure he'd be in that if there was. And he's appeared in all the Jackass movies, including the TV show, which which is great. And I read an article that the Jackass guys won't use all of his stunts because they think they're too extreme. So that should tell you something if the Jackass people won't do it. Um, <laughs> he has a 30 for 30 about him. Uh, it's called The Birth of Big Air. So those 30 for 30s are always very well done by ESPN. So, Tristan, what, what are your thoughts on, on Matt Hoffman, another innovator, uh, just a heck of a skater? And, I mean, Jackass is hilarious. Can't go wrong with that show. <laughs> so, he is my husband's favorite of all the athletes that we get to talk about today. And he was, like, super bummed he didn't get to chime in on this because he loves biking. And BMX biking is it's so impressive. This is completely outside my wheelhouse, you know, like I, the first thing I stop doing when I get pregnant is bike riding because I'm a terrible biker. So, you know, one, it's just huge athletic feats, but his career is just so much bigger than that. Um, again, going from like the eighties into the nineties into two thousands, like it's, he was probably one of the first to have like video games after his sport and then go from sports into the movie thing. I think he was doing that before any of the others. So definitely, you know, a trailblazer of that aspect. But um, I don't, I think he will be doing this until the day he dies. He might die doing this. I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> if your husband is there with you, he can give a, he can give his take. It's all good. No, he's at work. He's at work. <laughs> Marines. Born, yeah. yeah. Well, Monday thank morning. <laughs> thank him for his service. We appreciate that. Of All right, so let, let's move into our vote tonight. Paul, you're in my upper corner. Can't vote for your own, as usual, guys. Yeah, um, so I'll vote, I'll vote for what I would want to be, because they're all great, I think, so... I just got done watching the 100 foot wave on HBO. It's a great series about surfing. So I'm going to go Kelly Slater on this. I, I, I've always admired surfers, and I, I think that's that's a beautiful way to make a living. Brian. Well, to me, when I look at these guys, I mean, they're all really, really impressive, and it's it's just amazing what they've done. You know, putting their you know particular sports on the map. But to me, when I look at Sean White, I feel like he could probably do any of these sports. You know, like he's just so um, versatile, you know, being able, especially like, you know, being able to, to compete at such a high level with the snowboarding and with the skate and with the skateboarding. Um, so I'm going to go with Sean White. I'm going to go with, uh, gosh, I, I don't see like a difference in these four guys. Like, I mean, it's different sports, obviously, but just the, 
man, they're all huge. Just remember that Sean White invented and named a lot of his own moves. Just remember that. So did Tony Hawk, and I'm actually. I agree, going. but I'm just saying you got to. They're two very original people. And I'm I'm going with Tony Hawk. Um, I did a little skateboarding when I was younger, so maybe that's why I'm a little more prone to taking Tony Hawk in this. Because I don't think there's a difference between any of these four. They were all innovators. So I guess that's what put me over the edge for Tony Hawk. Brad, you going to give it one vote each here, or are you going to pick somebody who's already been picked? No, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Sean White. I mean, the fact of the matter is that he can skate and he does snowboarding. I mean, and like Paul just said, I mean, or like Brian just said, I think he could do all the things that all these four could do. So I'm going to go with Sean White. Okay, Tristan, we go to you. You would think that I would just automatically slide into the winter guy, but without Tony Hawk, there would be no Sean White. Oh, she laid the smackdown on that one. <laughs> she even put the hands up. She's like, bang. It's like, sorry. <laughs> so so it's going to be Tony Hawk. So that's one vote for Slater, two for Sean White, two for Tony Hawk. And on our show in a tie, the vote from the special guest gets the win. So our winner tonight. Tony Hawk, congratulations, Brad. Very hurtful of you to do that. <laughs> so let's move, in, let's move on to our Q&A tonight. Brad, you got the win. You get first question. Wow. Uh, ah, she, she laughed at me because I didn't have never seen snow before. Um, so snow is cold. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, as I know. Um, Tristan, you, you're, you're a uh, winter Olympian. Is there any other... Uh, events other than the skeleton that you uh watch or follow i mean I, i'm a curling fan myself so is there anything else that you being that you're a winter olympian is there any other events that you follow uh closely so my first sport and still my true sport of passion is ski racing um and and skiing um uh, my parents are married on skis. I was married on skis. We are a winter family. Like my surf loving beach bum dad met my mom and in three months went and married her and haven't left the mountains since. So, um, you know, for the stark contrast, which is why my jaw's on the floor. Now, I'll be fair. I had only seen the ocean about five times by the time I was 21. And I remember flying over it and being like, I see it. So, you know, like you, you are a product of, of where you grow up. Uh, that being said, I wish I was as good at tennis as I was skeleton. More money in the sport. It's summer. It's warm. You know, it just is a really cool, fun sport to watch. But I am not good at it. So explain to our viewers what the skeleton is, how you prepare and train, and the fortitude it takes to do it. Skeleton is a really, really fun and safe sport. And no one is ever going to say that in the, the, the beginning of it because it is 80 miles an hour headfirst sledding. Uh, but my helmet is zero impact rated. It's a skydiving helmet. You wouldn't hit anything uh, in your head. So that picture that's behind you, you can see it's, you know, like a, a tunnel. Nothing is coming at your head. Um, you're on the ground, so you can't fall. Uh, you you can fall, but you're doing it. Like it's it's physics. So my sport is physics. I am basically a race car driver. 
I have this track and I need to be the fastest person down it. So who can drive it the best? It wins. I'm very small for my sport. It's a gravity sport. So the heavier you are, the faster you go. Uh, the exact opposite of Nordic jumpers. I love being around them because they are super teeny tiny and bobsled and skeleton and luge athletes are all super, super big. And my sweat, my sled weighs 80 pounds. So it's also heavy. All of that's regulated, a ton of rules. We don't get counted as an extreme sport uh, because there's really nothing extreme in it other than it's cold, you know? Um, hey, frostbite will kill you, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's a swimsuit that I'm wearing uh, made by Speedo. So the exact same swimsuit that the swimmers are in. So you're not outside long in it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to put some, some clothes on. I don't enjoy being cold. So uh, I, my mom has always said there's no bad weather. There's just bad clothing choices. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Like you can be in any kind of weather in the, in the, the right gear. Paul. But you're giving Brad a hard time for not seeing snow and all that. But you don't like snow that much either. Because I think if I recall in 2002, when you won your goal, that video it was the only day it snowed. And I think you mentioned something like, I don't know, I didn't like that condition. So put us there with you when that when when you were getting ready to do your 80 mile an hour head first down the slide and you saw it was snow. And did it shake your confidence at all? Or you're like, I got this because I'm from the snow. That that's a really interesting question because because I'm small. I need perfect ice conditions. I need it to be as fast as possible. Um, I'm very aerodynamic and I make really good driving decisions. When it's snowing, it actually makes the ice softer. So you both change out equipment for the conditions. Like I have certain runners with different blade cuts. If your runners are too sharp and the ice gets soft, you will go slow because you're, you're like cutting too much ice. Um, so it's, it's, both you also have like the equipment element right like you have to make good good choices <laughs> be a good driver be a good starter and so it's it is a, a a well-rounded sport you can take what you are what part you are good at and and make that really work for you um so it you have three days on ice to take two runs a day before the olympic race and every day was bluebird skies rock hard ice. We were setting track records, you know, it was right where I wanted it to be. And that morning it was the only day that it snowed in, in the 2002 Olympics. I could not have, like, I opened that door in the morning and I was like, we're going to close this. We're going to come back. It's going to be sunny. And it still wasn't. And I, I was bummed because I do know that then the advantage would go to some of the other girls. And I just had to just really let all my expectations go in that moment and be like, you know, it's, it is what it is. You're going to just go out there and do what you do. It is my home track. It was the track that I took my first run on ever. And I loved being able to go full circle and end up winning a gold medal on it. That's the fun part about bobsled, skeleton, and luge is every track is different. So wherever we go in the world, the conditions change, the tracks change. It, it's every event is different. 
speed skating to me. I listened to your show with Dan Jansen and I'm like, dude, you guys make left-hand turns. You make left-hand turns in America. You're going to make that left-hand. It doesn't matter where you go. It's the same thing. How is this still a sport? And then I tried it and it's so hard. <laughs> so again, <laughs> the speed skating is really hard. <laughs> Brian, go ahead. If I understand correctly, um, you were the coach of the French team in Vancouver uh, uh, 2010 Olympics. So what was that like to put the, the coaching hat on? Um, it's, it's more stressful to, to be the coach uh, instead of the athlete. I'm great at taking the responsibility on for myself and being able to process that. When it's out of your control, when things are truly not in your control, it was a whole different conversation. And I was the men's team coach. What's cool is I was the only female head coach there and I wasn't even coaching women. Because skeleton is uh, more of a skill sport, as a very good driver, I can coach a male or female athlete the, the, the same. Uh, it doesn't, it, the athleticism is an equal match. Uh, as a matter of fact, women bobsledders it, back in the day, were beating the men that did not go over well, so they took weight out of their sled. So again, the heavier or faster you're going to go, because they didn't want their ovaries to be impacted by the speed. So that still hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, like their weights are still different, even for men and women skeleton athletes. Uh, so I love this sport because it can be so gender neutral and something that I can coach no matter who, who it is. And I loved being at the Vancouver Olympics. I thought, I, I'm glad that that was my second Olympics. So the Salt Lake was my first. And then the 2010 was, was my last. Going in as a coach and just being able to truly enjoy it. People think that the Olympic Village is like this big party place and that we're all there to like hang out and have a good time. But again, for a lot of us amateur athletes, you're looking at years worth of work for just, I mean, it's under two minutes of work, two, under two minutes for, for my gold medal. If you mess that up, you know, you, that that's it. So you're not, you're not there to have fun. <laughs> you're really there to work. And uh, as a coach, I was able to step back and have a more enjoyable experience. So I'm glad that I got both opportunities. Brad. Uh, Tristan, the, you again, your your hair was red, white, and blue. Uh, where did that idea come from? Just just for you know, where did that where did that was it a team thing or was it just an individual thing that you decided to do on that day? My hair has almost always been fun colors until the Marine Corps, and I am not in the Marine Corps. Only my husband is, but he was like, yeah we don't really have that here. And I was like, okay. And so I have not dyed my hair wild colors since. That is not going to stay that way forever. Um, it's just going to say that. But um, one of my best friends, Jean, Jean Pram, Jean Racine is one of the top women's bobsledders in the world. And she had me be a bridesmaid for her and she picked a pink, a light pink dress with dark pink flowers on it. And I was horrified, you know, like I could not be less of a pink 
frilly girl and I was like fine and then I dyed my hair to match so it was all light pink with like dark pink highlights and you know just give me some motivation to dye my hair and I will come through for you so making the Olympic team it just made sense that I should have red white and blue hair for the event so on a prior show we had uh U.S. swimmer Josh Davis um he also won some Olympic medals just like you, his medals were stolen. So how did that occur? What's the story behind that? And uh, I'm hoping you got them back. I got mine back you and my Olympic ring and all the things that I couldn't replace. They uh, did not target me because I was an Olympic medalist. Uh, it was just people that were doing some home invasions at the time. And when you steal an Olympic gold medal, it's like not a theft against me, it's a theft against the country. And it was really cool to watch the nation's response to that. I mean, we were getting ready to PCS move with, with my husband. So we had just laid out all the things on the counter of what we move and not the movers, you know, like the important stuff that goes with you <laughs> so you can keep your eyes on it. And I, we went out to walk the dog came back and they cleared out a three-story townhome. And I was, sh I was like really impressed with their thoroughness, uh, of course. I think my husband took it harder. He thought that it was like his fault that the stuff had, had, had been stolen. And he took the metal loss a lot harder than I did. In, in my mind, I'm a gold medalist with or without the actual gold medal. Fun fact, because I'm only 5'2", when I wear it, it's a belt buckle. Like, it wouldn't even make it in this, this Zoom call. It would be down <laughs> here. So I don't wear it that often. Um, that's, you know, the bummer part. Now, I can't, If say I didn't get it back, you can get metal replacements. You uh, pay the replacement value of the metal. So obviously, getting a bronze would be a little bit more economical than getting a gold replaced. Um, but it, it can be done. And so that, you know, I would have gone through that had I had not been returned. And they did try to sell it at a pawn shop. So it has like a little nick cut out of it. I left, I left it. I feel like that just makes it more of its story of, you know, this one time when it got stolen and my whole neighborhood and people came together and the Oceanside Police Department like did what they needed to do to get it back. I was, I was really impressed. All good. Yeah, shout out to, what, Detective Baxter, wasn't that his name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just recently, I went and saw him, before we moved to Japan, I saw, I ran into him. He's still there at the Oceanside Police Department, and I was like, hey! So, yeah, you know. Like, you promised him, you promised him you'd take better care of it from there on out. <laughs> and I do, I do, I do, I because I feel bad, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I lose this again, I know he'll call and be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> As a uh, mother, are you kind of hoping one or, you know, at least one of your kids goes into some type of skiing, some type of, uh, as Michael would call it, extreme sport? What are you hoping for here to carry on the, the legacy? You know, I just want them to like a sport. Um, you know, I didn't even start skeleton until I was 18. So it's really hard. Like, you know, we've been talking about these fantastic four athletes tonight and they started at you know 10 years old and were pro by 12 and I didn't even know what skeleton was at, at that point in my life I think it's really important for kids just to be able to try as many different things as they can I mean who knows maybe I would have also been really good at archery 
you know, like it's, it's just crazy how many things are out there. And it, I feel like as Americans, we get to this point where it's like, oh, you need to specialize by this point. And I think that that's a mistake. And it's, we, we do all these uh, studies for the USFC, the Olympic Committee, and it really does show that the more sports kids play and the more different options they're exposed to, the better players they are in whatever sport they decide to be good at. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, let them flounder around and point them in the right direction and, and be a supporter for whatever they want to do. I think that that's the most important part. Ryan, go ahead and finish this out. All right. Well, so how did you first um, learn of the skeleton event and what was your first impressions when you saw it? I mean, were you scared? Were you excited? Uh, how, you know, what did you first think when you, when you saw these people, uh, you know, coming down the hill uh, uh, head first? That's another really good question because kids don't just grow up like, I'm going to be a professional sledder, you know, like that's, right, right. that's not on the table. Uh, so it was, it was boys, you know, as, as often is the case. I was dating uh, Steve Holcomb. I don't know if you've had him show up as one of your athletes on the show yet. Uh, we went to high school prom together. He was my longtime high school boyfriend, and he really wanted to be a bobsledder. And I thought that was crazy because we were both ski racers. We probably He probably could have been on the U.S. ski team. I would have gotten like a college scholarship on it. And he was like, no, let's go do this tryout in the summer. And a summer tryout for, for a winter sport is uh, one that tests like your speed and your strength. And, you know, he just crushed it. They knew right away he was going to do great things. And they took one look at me and they were like, you know, you are way too small for bobsled. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just came for the workout. You know, I'm a ski racer. The coach was like, but, you know, you should, you should try skeleton. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> like, oh, you know, head first luge, 80 miles an hour in a bobsled track uh, and with your chin an inch off the ice. I was like, nope. Uh, my parents love me. Not suicidal. Like, I've got a sport. Like, I'm all set. But I knew the Olympics were coming to Salt Lake in four years. So I wanted to just go down the track. So when the Olympics came, I could be like, oh, I've been down that. And it turns out I have some natural talent for sledding. And you just, again, you just don't know till you know. And it, it was fun from the very first. Now, I wore hockey uh, padding, soccer shin guards, my skiers and stuff. Like, I was pretty sure people die doing this work. Cause when you see pictures of it, when you see the videos, it's a hard pass. Um, and, and those are people that are good. What you really want to do is watch some videos of people learning how to do bobsledder skeleton. It's terrifying. because uh, watching the best people in their sport sometimes just does not give you the perspective of what actually makes that sport a sport. Like I work really hard to make it look like I'm just laying there on, on my sled that's how I'm, when, when I'm doing it right, it just looks like I'm laying there. It takes a lot of time to get to that. So other people don't know your drives. Otherwise, they're just going to do the same thing. Uh, so no, the first time down, I was pretty sure that this was how I was going to die. And I was just trying to keep myself safe because I don't do extreme things. I don't jump out of planes. I don't do any extreme sports. Like I'm just, I'm not that at all. And yet I sucked it up enough for skeleton and then realized that this truly is, a, it is safe and it's so fun. It is, it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Tristan, for joining us tonight.
or for you, day. <laughs> 12, 13, yeah, no problem. 13 hours. I'm all cheery. <laughs> I want to remind everyone who was watching, make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Safari. Join the Facebook group. Whatever you're listening on, hit that subscribe button. Everyone have a great night. Thank you for joining us.